0: Welcome to The Fuzz, a our podcast exploring intuitive curiosities. I am Carolina Montilla.
1: And I'm Joel Ferris.
0: Welcome Simba.
2: Thank you. Thank you for having me.
0: So today we're going to be discussing a couple of topics, but overall we're going to be talking about identity, sense of belonging, and I think the power of community. You and I, through the perhaps shared experiences of being immigrants in different countries and how that has probably shaped us or not through the years and how we show up today, both at work and in society and as leaders, um, and and we'll go through the different aspects of that. Uh, but I think like it's a journey that sense of belonging, mm-hmm. it's very much applies to all of us in different ways yes so
2: it's interesting though. i want to start uh maybe by saying i don't i don't think of myself as an immigrant in the u.s and that's just because i was born here even though i didn't grow up here so when i did come back to the u.s i um could relate to a lot of the immigrants experiences but to call myself an immigrant being a passport, a uh, passport holder of the U.S. Um, probably is not correct, mm-hmm. <laughs> but um, I certainly feel like wherever I've lived, or um, for example, living in Zimbabwe, people always asked me where I was from. And when I was younger, I was like, "I'm Zimbabwean." What do you mean? Where am I from? But since I already had an accent, um, there was kind of uh, there was kind of that. Uh, notion of you're not from here and even mm-hmm. when i came back to the u.s um people would ask me where are you from uh when i go to Guadeloupe, which is where my mother's from people ask me where i'm from so <laughs> uh, i can't really say I, be- I belong to one place but i definitely um have places that i call home
0: mm-hmm. yeah. i feel to me slightly different because i have a harder time finding places that i call home nowadays. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. and I think you're right like being an immigrant is such a loaded term because for the Mm. longest time I was being put in this box of obviously you have an accent you are an immigrant you somehow are an outsider to this Mm. but not necessarily like all I always consider myself like An international person, a global citizen. Mm -hmm. And then, but then I understood okay, there is something attached to being an immigrant that there are parts Mm -hmm. of it that I identify with, and some parts that I definitely don't. Mm -hmm. But to me, like building an identity, I moved to the US when I was 17, basically, Mm -hmm. and of the teenage years by myself. Mm -hmm. And it was when I started realizing that there were differences. Like, I actually didn't grow up in a language of their are people of color. Like, yeah. that was not necessarily, like, part of, like, the vocabulary that I grew up with. And, like, mm-hmm. showing up in a new place and learning that, okay, you're attached to this kind of adjectives and you are a person of color and you are a minority. And people mm-hmm. perhaps have a different sense of who you are when you open your mouth because you do have an accent. Yes. And I do carry an accent in every language I speak. So I feel, <laughs> <laughs> I feel like when people ask you where you're from.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And for me, I'll also say, you know, growing up in Zimbabwe, I didn't always notice my identity or, or race, I should say. Um, but I vividly remember when I went back. When I was already in the U.S. for school. Uh, for college and when I went back for the summer to Zimbabwe my first summer uh, break here in the US um, coming back to the US landing at JFK getting off the plane I immediately felt like a black person landing in the US and that was kind of a distinct moment for me because I realized when I'm in Zimbabwe I do not feel like a black person because Mm -hmm. black people are the majority um but also race doesn't play a bigger as a role that it does in the U.S., mm-hmm. um, just in day-to-day life. Um, so I'd say that's the first time I probably uh, was confronted with the realities of being a person of color, like mm-hmm. you said, um, in the United States.
0: Which I think it also makes you hyper-aware of how mm-hmm. you show up in certain places Absolutely. like yeah. it i've now created or have a sense of awareness that i don't think i ever had before mm. and i've that has been a big part of like my journey of how i show up mm-hmm. because i used to be very much conflicted about it if i could get rid of the accent, i would it's not possible for me yeah. <laughs> i've
3: tried
0: <laughs> it's not a thing but i think through my journey i've learn to like actually like learn that that's part of who i am yeah. and how i show up and part of me being authentic to myself
3: yeah
0: have you had like similar experiences and how yeah. has identity influenced how you show up both and work and society and
2: yeah so i definitely have had similar Experiences, I I would say it's still a working progress, Um, but in a way, moving back to the U.S. uh, as a young adult, I was twenty one at the time when I came for college. um, That was kind of the first time that I really started to um, dig deeper into my identity, Um, because growing up in Zimbabwe, I was always told you're not Zimbabwean, you're American because you're born there, you're American because you speak that way um But coming to the U.S., I quickly realized that, actually, I'm not American because there are a lot of things that um, I didn't grow up experiencing and also don't relate to. Mm-hmm. Um Just small things like, I remember somebody mentioned a Snapple fact or something. And I was like, I don't know what a Snapple fact is. We, <laughs> we don't have those in Zimbabwe. Um, or just, you know, TV shows in general. But even just language. I mm-hmm. remember one of the... It was quite frustrating for me my first few years in the u s because um, I spoke a slang that I was used to in Zimbabwe and one that I enjoyed um, but coming to the u s using some of the words that i that I would use, people wouldn't understand what i 'm saying um, I'm pretty sure you can relate to to some of these things, and um, there was kind of a bit of mourning i guess on my part that i couldn 't speak um the way I would like anymore though it never left me because whenever I speak to my brother or speak to friends from back home in Zimbabwe um it immediately comes back (laughs) so I think it's important to not um completely lose yourself Mm -hmm. and by yourself I mean the small things that make you who you are Mm -hmm. or who you feel you're comfortable being um and yeah language was one of them for me um I think dress was another way that I probably tried to keep my, um, sense of identity. Um, you can see right now I'm wearing a, a hat from, from Cape Town. So, um, <laughs> I try to always have something from, um, I wear these copper bracelets, for example, um, that are from Zimbabwe. Um, so I always just try to have something from my, um, identity, Zimbabwean identity on me, mm-hmm. um, My American identity and my French-Caribbean identity are still kind of working progress, I would say.
0: Joel, beyond, you know, obviously for Simba and for me, like backgrounds, place, language, uh, nationalities play a pretty important part of our journey and identities. Do you feel like, but I know that, kind of translates in many things of, like, part of feeling like you belong and understanding your identity, like, beyond language and all this stuff. How does that, how has your identity shaped in the last few years that have you, like, I know language is something else, but have you had, like, experiences that have influenced how you show up and how have you built your identity and who you are today
1: yeah i would say it's generally very similar for most people our identity is often the you know it's the way that we are reflected back to ourselves through the mirrors of friendship and community and Mm -hmm. culture and Mm -hmm. land and that kind of thing but i think for for me as a like cisgendered white male in america um, my identity has been one of, of mostly like shedding mm. and and mm. and kind of deconstructing whiteness mm. and trying to understand if white as a race is a construct that is completely arbitrary and solely exists to perpetuate a class of power, then what does that leave me as mm-hmm. who am I behind that? If I shed that, what am I? Mm-hmm. Who am I? So I think this is why, you know, it's kind of interesting that you're seeing this inflection in things like 23 and me. Mm-hmm. And, um, genealogy and ancestry kind of, you know, uh, studies. And cause I think there's a lot of people like myself who are like, yeah, I don't want to perpetuate white supremacy and I want to know who I am actually and who are my people and where do I come from? And what does that mean for the way that I understand my own selfhood and how I show up in the world?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: And you know, it was it was kind of a pivotal point for me to go back and discover that um my people are the Scots-Irish people who immigrated, you know, like many folks on the Atlantic seaboard of Europe in the sixteen hundreds, and uh and that my last name is actually an Anglicized Gaelic word that means Fair Isle. Mm. And so my people are the people of the Fair Isle. And when I learned that, it was like an entirely new dimension of my understanding of self and identity that I had never had before. But I had never been forced to even ask the question. And I think that's a privilege, right? Like it's a Mm -hmm. privilege and has been a privilege for me as a white male for a long time to never have to be confronted with the question of who am I. Mm -hmm. Um, Because my identity is the one that is celebrated mostly. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm so I think it's really interesting to hear you two talk about the ways in which you've been othered in various contexts mm-hmm. and how that has forced the question upon you um, real early in life. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that I think people in my position often think about or consider. And I think this is why diversity in design is so important because Otherwise, you've got people like me who don't have these experiences and have never been forced to ask the question, is this place for me? Mm -hmm. We just assume every place is for me because I'm a white dude. And so um, if you're designing from that white lens where, you know, the story of immigration and the story of diverse cultures and the story of colonization hasn't shaped your worldview, then you're going to essentially be designing homogenous experiences that aren't inclusive or considerate of alternative experiences as a human or alternative identities, Mm -hmm. not even alternative, just other identities aren't yours. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So I think this is a really profound and critical conversation. And I'm just like really also honored that you two would share your stories like you have, because I think this is, um, uh, uh, really cool and beautiful to hear how these experiences have shaped you and gotten you to where you are today
0: simba there is one about you know like that sense of place and creating because exposure to things is a big part of things right you don't realize the diversity unless you're exposed to it in in some sense or not and i think like In my personal experience, it's interesting that when you landed at JFK, you were like, okay, I'm perceived differently than I thought. when I moved to New York, it was actually the very first place that I felt I belong in the U.S. because it was the first place that I've lived in which it was okay to have an accent, in which it was okay to hear other languages. I wasn't the other anymore. Everyone was the other, like most people were from other places. So it's interesting that even in that, our experiences, how we felt them were different. And I think it made me aware of all these other identities and and backgrounds and languages that I wasn't exposed to before, which, again, I now have built my awareness of the world and other communities but
2: I can definitely relate to that because um I'd say it took me maybe two years to feel like New York was home even though I was born there I only I don't have any memory of my time there as I left when I was four years old but like you said you know New York is a melting pot and mm-hmm. there's so many other people that are similar to you in a way or mm-hmm. are not or are the other, like Mm -hmm. you said, so um, I can definitely relate to that for sure, and um, I think that's also why I'm attracted to cities, Mm -hmm. so that's where you tend to have more of a pool of people from all over the place, and you can go try um, Polish uh, pastries Mm -hmm. somewhere, or or you can, you know, learn about different uh, um, fashion, or yeah, that's something I really enjoy about cities and New York City in general
0: yes Mm -hmm. and that in general boxes are so blurred like even like not one thing defines you which to me shows up at work all the time because we are considered sometimes in our world of strategy the other the ones that are different the ones that think in a different way and I think like Overall, being hyper aware of that otherness in others have allowed me to navigate the journey also of like open to diversity ways of thinking that are not my own, that sometimes I don't share at all, but that I have to facilitate in a way uh, to be part of the conversation, which I think like it's something we deal with almost Daily, Mm -hmm. like how to embrace this diversity of thinking when sometimes you are consider the other, yeah, that sense.
1: In that, there's like that tension of wanting to be, at least for me, wanting to be understood Mm -hmm. and known for how I perceive myself or in the way that I perceive myself. And there's always this negotiation happening relationally where, um. You have to project your identity so that someone else can receive it, Mm. right? Um, And that's always a turbulent thing. And I find that in some cases it's too difficult. It's too turbulent. Mm. And so I just stop. I just Mm -hmm. don't even try. Um, And I live in the ache of feeling mischaracterized or misunderstood Mm. or, right, missed. Mm Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious for you too, like, does your, does the knowledge of who you are play a role in the confidence that you have standing in that gap, like navigating the turbulence of the world around you? Mm -hmm. Do you, in that time of turbulence, go back to, oh yeah, but this is who I am. And I, you know, does that play a role? I don't know. I don't know how to frame that in like a better question, Mm but I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that.
0: I think in times of turbulence, I think we all question ourselves, you know, like who, am I this person? Am I showing up the right way? I think if you had asked me 10, 15 years ago, I would have questioned it a lot harder of okay am I kind of saying the right things because this is one thing that happens to me is that 10 years ago I was very worried that every time I opened my mouth the first thing that people were going to question was like where is she from and sometimes that's the follow-up questions as soon as I introduce myself right because it's very apparent you have an accent where are you from I don't like those are things that I don't question anymore like yes that's gonna be the follow-up and that is not going to not validate where I'm saying or how I'm saying it it's just very much part of who I am and I've like proved to myself in the last years decade that it actually adds to the conversation or my point of view on certain things so i no longer see it as you know like i actually see it so much of my personality that i couldn't take it out anymore uh so but i think we all question in times of turbulence like is a person how people perceive me and how who i am influencing Context influencing conversation, influencing my point of view. I think it's it's very much, I think, part of all of us in a way. Maybe to a certain extent, some of us have more apparent things that will make you question that twice. But I feel so much more comfortable in like, yeah, I have an accent. This is what I have. This is who I am.
2: <laughs> yeah, and no, I would say for me, the turbulence now is definitely external um there was a time when it was internal um where i was still kind of figuring out or trying to figure out my identity and where i fit in this world Um, because like i mentioned in the beginning wherever i've lived or wherever i travel to that my family's from i'm always asked where am i from um but i'm at peace with who i am and i think just like when you're flying you don't know when turbulence is going to happen until the captain (laughs) says fasten your seat belts and uh i just know that and turbulence in the air is inevitable right so i just Mm -hmm. know that in life as well um moments where my identity is going to be questioned um is inevitable um so i think you know for anybody it's just important to know your identity within first Mm -hmm. um And actually use the turbulence to your advantage to help you kind of um, question, you know, question your identity, question yourself. And, um, yeah, figure out where you want to, how you want to fit in in this world.
3: Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting that that maybe there's an element to the turbulence that actually requires some solidification of self, Mm -hmm. right? That it's the there's like system resonance that happens, right? When, when the environment around you requires you to get grounded or ground to something, Mm -hmm. it forces you to be reflective and to um, see what you're made of and see who you are and, and that kind of thing. I
0: think the other hard to me and I think we touched on this a little bit was that even though like to me place attaching place to home it's very hard nowadays like attaching it to a certain geography is very hard but I think one of the validations to me of my identity has been like the different communities that are found in different places so I think That has been such an important part of like showing up how I think I should show up versus how people expect me to show up or how I think people expect me to show up. Having that sense of having that community, it's a big deal for me. And sometimes it's not even like people that look like me, but that somehow represents Some other diversity, but yes, sense of communities and belonging for me go hand in hand.
3: Yeah,
1: is that we're saying like identity and belonging go hand in hand?
0: For me, they do. Yeah, and I think having a community that you feel like you belong to Mm -hmm. is a big part of it. Because if not belonging, is belonging to what? Right. What part of a bigger system?
1: Yeah. This is just clicking for me, but uh, this reminds me of some talks we've had about just individuality Mm
3: -hmm.
1: and that individuality is like this myth that we've Mm -hmm. bought into, especially in the West, because when you revisit the notion of identity, identity is inextricable from community Mm -hmm. and belonging. So how are you, you without Without others, others. Mm -hmm. you know, you can't be you Mm -hmm. without others. Um and so there is a uh you know we we come into our identity through the affirmation and and being seen by others and being cultivated in community and having that sense of belonging. I think it's a really important thing to highlight. Um and to just take a pickaxe to, you know, the monolith of individuality because it's something that I feel like we worship as this thing that's on this Mm -hmm. that you know can't be touched but Mm -hmm. i think individuality has been really destructive um to communal belonging and a true understanding of self Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and it also perpetuates this myth of separation right because if my identity is singular and belongs to me then that means that your, your well-being isn't tied to my well-being and my well-being is not tied to your well-being. Mm-hmm. But if identity is a relational construct, if it's a community-based thing, then my well-being is your well-being,
3: mm-hmm. right?
1: My liberty is your liberty. Um, and you can't separate those things. Mm-hmm. And so I think your idea around identity and belonging is really powerful because uh, it predicates I think a lot of the behavior change that we need in society at large, right. To recognize that no, we're not separate mm-hmm. that you and I aren't, aren't all that different, um, that we are not separate from the environment and the planet. Um, and that if we continue to behave in ways in which the behavior is driven by the belief of individuality and separateness, then we'll continue to be destructive and we'll continue to take, right. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think that's a really powerful like situating identity in community is a powerful thing that could be really healing mm-hmm. for people on the planet.
2: Yeah, and actually that's making me think of um my upbringing in Zimbabwe because you know, by people questioning where I'm from even though, you know, half of my half of me through my father is zimbabwean um there was always the the one to put me in another box and not in the box of zimbabwean so then that meant the friends that i had i could only have specific uh Mm -hmm. friends Mm -hmm. or um i wasn't involved in certain um social groups at school specifically um and as as i've gotten older i see that you know perpetuated in different ways in the society in zimbabwe and it makes me realize that if people keep having this singular kind of um uh thought of what a zimbabwean should look like or should be then you're kind of stagnating yourself uh just in terms of thinking or in terms of just learning new things uh growing um so, yeah, something about what you said made me think about that as well. In terms of, we have to be able to, you know, accept different identities and be able to move forward as well mm, as, as mm-hmm, a people.
1: Mm-hmm. What about the idea of having more than one identity? Like, is identity a singular thing, mm. or do we have multiples? And those things are never you know they work in concert in an orchestrated manner but we maybe in certain environments emphasize one over another Mm -hmm. how has that played out for you
0: well i think even in context right it definitely plays out and i mean i am very american for my family (laughs) you know i'm yeah. I've been here 20 years. So in that context, I'm very American. Like I do things, I say things the way mm-hmm. I think or expect. They're like oh, such an American thing to do. <laughs> and it, so I think it definitely like context kind of like, yes, different parts of your identity show up or get augmented in, in different contexts. In in my work environment I'm I'm definitely like you know who I am the more immigrant international person with an accent not necessarily the American Mm -hmm. Uh, so yes I think and and I think it definitely changes in dynamics of even like your role and your identity as an older brother Mm -hmm. how you show up in those moments versus in a relationship
3: Mm -hmm.
0: um Yes, I I do think like at the core, probably we are a person, but different parts of our identities get augmented depending on Mm -hmm. context or different systems.
2: Yeah, I agree with that. And I I would say definitely identity is is an orchestra. And, you know, depending on the situation, uh, you know, one part of your identity might come out in this situation or my, in another situation, um, like I mentioned, when I speak to my brother, it's, it's not even conscious, it's subconscious. We just start speaking the way we grew up speaking the slang mm-hmm. in Zimbabwe. Um, or maybe when I'm in a certain uh, specific location or go to um, uh, speaking of place and how place um, kind of defines your, your identity you know, act a certain way depending on where I am. Um, and I think that's healthy, actually, because especially if you have multiple, which most people do, right, have multiple. Right. Um, uh, I don't want to use the word identity again, but have multiple, um, I guess, influences in their lives, whether it be um, family, where mm-hmm. their family's from, whether it be where they grew up or where mm-hmm. they spent time or who, the people they hang out with. Um, you kind of need to have your identities play play in a in mm-hmm. concert in a way.
1: Yeah, I heard a really great. That makes me think of a this framework I heard in this training that I was in a retreat. Um, they were talking about this trivium of sorts to understand self and origin, mm. and they talked about you have a bloodline, you have a milk line, and you have a storyline. And that those three things really are those, you know, those are the buckets that hold the various factors and things that have shaped who you are. So there's obviously family, right? Your bloodline, like the literally the people you come from and your DNA, DNA, like your inherited traits and right, like all of that. But then there's also milk line, which is just people in your life who've nurtured you in some way or another, right? Or the places that have nurtured you or experiences that have shaped and nurtured you in some way they've been good for you like even at a soul level right not mm-hmm. just physically or, or emotionally or or cognitively and then there's your storyline which is the cultural context and this is more where you have active agency in participating with a particular you know whether it's an affinity you have for a musical style or artistic expression or a right and then the culture of people that share that affinity for that thing with you and how you participate in that narrative, mm-hmm. that story of your life and how it unfolds. And so you can kind of look at those three things as big buckets for holding who you are. Right. And it's, um, a really beautiful and kind of poetic That's way of thinking. Probably the, I love
0: that. We yeah. should have started with that. I that yeah. Like I love that lens because <laughs> it's definitely like a combination of mm-hmm. like those stories mm-hmm. and experiences yes your dna but also like it's so beautiful like the part about like people that nurture you
1: that just mm-hmm. your community point. yes yeah
0: that's your community
1: yeah exactly my last question on this subject is um you know ann helen peterson wrote a book called can't even uh and it was about millennial burnout. And it came out, I think, just before the pandemic. And she talks a lot about how millennials were raised in the United States, at least, on this, what she calls the middle class maxim of do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. Right. And so there was this kind of storyline that, that we were raised in, that we bought into a mythology of sorts. And it didn't work out for us. And she goes on to say that when you do what you love, it's not you'll never work a day in your life. It's that your work will become your identity. Mm. And it ultimately and inevitably leads to burnout, right? Mm-hmm. And collapse. And so I think there's something interesting about the intersection of this conversation around identity and our work. Because you see so much in the world today around purpose, purposeful work, right? Purpose-driven mm-hmm. work. And I want what I do to be meaningful. And, and if your work and your purpose are the same thing, then your identity inevitably gets wrapped up in your work, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that that, you know, in um some of the recent social critique of um, the history of labor and employee relationships to employers and, and capitalism in general, the critique is that if your purpose is bound to your uh, the viability of your economic contribution mm-hmm. to society. Mm-hmm. Like that's an insidious thing. And so the question becomes, should our work be our purpose?
3: Mm-hmm.
1: Is work actually the right container for our purpose? Mm. And is that really where the roots of our identity are to be grown and nurtured and cultured, right? And I think that's a a really interesting provocation to be thinking about as we're thinking about designing work experiences Mm -hmm. and designing experiences that are innately human. What's the role of purpose in those experiences? And should we, even from a possibly an ethical perspective, be designing in a way that might even, uh, you know, tap into someone's identity in a way that we can't anticipate Mm -hmm. where it's not the intention but the outcome becomes some um you know the 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 private organization is able to leverage that person's purpose to extract more value from them because it it it's like oh it aligns with my purpose of course I'll do that right yeah, yeah.
0: um and I'll do more of it
1: yeah yeah exactly and so it gets it gets kind of messy mm-hmm. uh at the same time like I love loving what I do You know what I mean? And I think uh, if labor is going to be arduous and tedious and a core component of our lives, why shouldn't it not be enjoyable Mm -hmm. and be a source of community and a source of fulfillment and meaning as humans? Because we crave that too. Mm -hmm. So there's a very interesting tension there. It's a paradox in my mind that both of these things exist at the same time Mm -hmm. and so my question that's all (laughs) you're working up to the question is how much of your identity should be tied to your work and
2: why i feel like that's a question that i've been kind of wrestling with um the fact that i'm still early in my career um i think i still have space to kind of define what I want my career to look like or how I want to show up in my in my career um and I'm noticing that it's not the easiest for me personally to show up fully as myself when I come to work um I will say though after joining Gensler it has been easier (laughs) um so Gensler is doing a few things right um but for me, like you said, burnout is a, is, a big, is a big thing. And sometimes when I see, I mean, I'm not judging anybody, but when I see, for example, on social media, when somebody puts, um, you know, like where they work in, in their bio or um, if their bio has a lot of, or you're trying to understand who they are, but what they're giving you is what they do. Mm-hmm. Um, I always that kind of always raises my eyebrow, and I ask myself, you know, should I be? Should I be doing that? Should uh, should should what I should where I work be more part of my identity? Should mm-hmm. um, should it be that way? But it there's just something about that that doesn't feel right to me. Um, I don't have all the answers <laughs> right now, but I feel that what feels right to me is having a healthy relationship between my identity and my work Um, um, because I do not want to get to a point where it's where I'll do anything and sacrifice my well-being for example Mm -hmm. and that leads to burnout and other things Um, so I'll say definitely still a work in progress but um, yeah we might have to do an episode two for that mm-hmm. <laughs> for that one, yeah,
0: I think it's blurry for me, definitely, like purpose, like finding purpose be the sole like meaning of my life i I don't necessarily think that in the bigger picture, but I do find so much meaning and purpose in my work, but again, it's because of my community mm. It's not necessarily because of the type of work that i'm doing right but it's because of the relationships that i built with that community at work that i choose to so i think that to me is where the meaning is related to work Mm -hmm. versus the type of work i do or the type of project right it's very much relationship based
1: that makes a ton of sense yeah this has been a fantastic conversation um super fascinating great stuff maybe we should have a part two at some point yeah. i think that'd be a good there you go let's keep it going um simba thank you so much we're very honored to have you at ginsler and uh to join us in this conversation so
2: yeah, thank you for having me i'm honored to have been asked to be part of this episode so i appreciate it same
0: thank you
1: you've been listening to the Fuzz a Gensler podcast exploring intuitive curiosities. The Fuzz is hosted by Carolina Montilla
0: and Joel Ferris. Production by Jared Price. Brand design by Krista Reeder. The theme music was written by Ido Naimong. For more
1: on all things fuzzy, please visit our substack, thefuzz.substack.com. Thanks for listening.